are no longer slaves to sin. That is the beautiful outflow of the gospel. Hey, thanks for joining us here at the church at Suncoast. Take your Bibles and let's get into God's Word. Chapter 13 and verse 1. Then came, that same day, Jesus went out of the house. Now, now, whenever an author links that like that, it's very important you understand. He wanted you to know that it was the same day that every, everything back in chapter 12 occurred. Now, as John preached last week, the family came to the house trying to get Jesus to come home from the Bible study because John tells us he believes, they believe he'd lost his mind. Has anybody ever thought you were crazy? Now, I tell my all my grandkids, there's, there's something wrong with you. I just want you to know there's something wrong. I don't mean it, and it's a big joke, and they all, they all come to me and say, Pop, you think there's something wrong with me? I say, yeah, there's something wrong with you. And they just laugh, and they just think it's... it's uh, how many of y'all saw Benny on, on the news? Benny was on... Did you see him step out from the sidewalk? Yeah. I mean, just wild-eyed Benny. I mean, she's, that's my grandson right there. <laughs> we had the best time seeing Benny step out. But Jesus' family thought there was really something wrong with him. That gives me comfort. And doesn't it give you comfort? The man's lost his mind. And they were politely coming to take him home so they could take care of him at home. Isn't that interesting? He was becoming an embarrassment to the family. Interesting. That same day, rather than go home with his mother and his brothers, that's a study within itself, his brothers came so much for the Virgin Mary. Anyway, that's, that's another topic. That same day, it says, he sat beside the sea. And great multitudes gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd, we don't know if it was hundreds, we don't know if it was thousands, and I'm glad we don't know. Isn't it interesting the Bible is absent of most numbers? Once in a while, it'll give you a number, how many were saved on the day of Pentecost. But by and large, when it talks about a crowd, it doesn't tell us how many. Don't we as old school with Baptist roots want to know the number, don't we? The Bible doesn't care about the number. Neither should we. There's a crowd in front of Jesus, and he sits down in the boat, and verse 3 says, and he told them many things in parables. Parables. Now, this chapter only gives us two or three. So when it says many parables, there's a lot of stories Jesus is not recorded what the stories were. Wouldn't you love to see all of the things he taught that day? The stories he told? But the stuff we got's rich and amazing. But he told a number of parables all in one day. Now, what's a parable? Literally, it's a story. Literally, the word parable means to throw out next to something else to compare it. Okay? It's a story that helps us get a handle on the inanimate, on what we cannot see, and what we tend to be hard to understand. Uh, the old adage is, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And that's a good definition of a parable. It's an earthly story 
that helps us get a, law, get a handle on something heavenly that's hard to grasp. I mean, I don't understand a lot of the spiritual mysteries of it, but I understand a sower, and I understand the seed, and I understand the ground, and I understand the processes of growth. So Jesus gives us a handle, a story, and he gives us a series of them. Now, some of you are wondering, probably for, I hope, from a couple weeks ago, when I mentioned, why did Jesus teach in parables? Because the, the disciples asked him that question. We won't have that question answered today, but in a couple weeks, we will. I just want to deal with this one story, this one parable, and I want to get us the interpretation correctly because it's important. Look at verse 3. He told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow. One lively commentator mentions it's possible he saw a sower on the field behind them and perhaps shouted, look, a sower went out to sow. It's a common scene in Palestine. And as he sowed, now what did he look like? There are two ways to sow in Palestine back then. There was the working man's way to sow and there was the lazy man's way to sow. Uh, the working man's way to sow is to tote a bag around and take the seed and cast it. I recently put winter rye in my backyard because Karen likes the green. And we have a deal. I'll plant the winter rye, but I'm not going to cut it every week. I'm going to let it grow up like the shire. Well, if you've ever seen winter rye, it's a tiny, tiny little seed. Well, I went and got my seed thrower, the thing with the handle, loaded it up with winter rye. It doesn't work in a seed thrower. It's too small. I had to empty it back out. I had to grab a sack, and I had to go out and just throw and throw and throw. That's what the sower did. He's casting seed as he goes, and a good sower, when it gets all done, is going to have a pretty even mesh. you got to be careful when you sow. You can't sow in the wind. Sounds like a song. Uh, there's a lazy man's way of sowing is to, to, to hang the sack on the back of a donkey and cut a hole and just slap around the rump and let her walk. Not as good process, but probably the sower is the one that casts. So just so you know what it looked like, verse 4. And as he sowed some seeds, notice plural. Actually, the word is not there in the original Greek. It's Jesus literally said, and some fell. The translators added seeds, but notice it's plural. Some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground. This wasn't a ground that was filled with rocks. It wasn't like that in Palestine. What it was was a flat shale stone that was two or three inches under the soil. You couldn't see it. Thin soil covered it. So when you cast, unless you were checking out the area with your foot and could feel it, you were just throwing out everywhere. But in certain areas were covered with that flat stone two or three inches under the soil. That's the stony ground. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. So we've got two different situations. First situation, we have birds come and take the seed. Secondly, we have a hard ground with shallow dirt 
and shallow roots. Verse 7. And other seeds, plural, fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up. Notice, maybe he didn't know they were there. You know, you can turn over soil and plant a garden, but unless you get all the seeds and the roots and the stuff left in the soil, it's going to show back up. So the, the thorns grew up, and notice what happened. It choked them. Anybody who grows a garden knows that weeds and thorns grow three or four times faster than anything you're going to plant. And if you don't keep a hold of it, before you know it, they get choked up. Verse 8, here we go. Other seeds. Notice one sower, one bag of seeds. Those are the constant in the story, the constant in the experiment. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain to varying degrees, to some some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And then Jesus says something he usually says after a hard saying, let him that hath ears hear. Let him who studies and thinks and wants to really know what the truth of this parable is. Well, what is the truth? of? We've heard this story all of our lives. If you've been in church at any given time, you've heard. And this is what we've basically heard. Basically, if you're like me, we heard this, that the sower is the preacher or the Holy Spirit or Jesus. It's whoever the seed is, the word of God. The soil is the heart of man. The first three are lost. They never got saved. Only the fourth really got the seed and became born again. Now, that's a fine interpretation. That's what I've heard all my life until you get to Jesus' explanation of the parable And that interpretation runs into trouble. And I want you to look at it because he actually explained this parable down in verse 18. We're skipping over down to verse 18. Here then, and he gets his disciples alone and he is going to explain this parable. Here then the parable of the sower. When anyone, oh by the way, I just have to throw in real quick. He didn't throw the seed toward the elect. He threw it everywhere. I just... Forgive me, I just had to throw that in there. Okay, all right, I'm I'm done with that. Verse 19. When anyone hears the, notice it is the word of the kingdom. That's important to note. This is not the word of the gospel. This is the word of the authority and his place in the life of his subjects. This is the word of the kingdom. Totally different. This is not individual seeds that have been planted in an individual's heart to see if it's going to grow and bloom. There's a, there's a a parable in Luke that runs a little different, that runs like that. These are not, these are seeds, plural, thrown out over the ground in an area that's going to either produce or not produce. This is the word of the kingdom. If anyone hears that word and does not understand it, The evil, and one is not there. The evil comes. The evil is fascinating in the Greek. You know, it needs to, it means to labor and to work. It means to be preoccupied with something other than what you ought to be preoccupied with. It means either the labor that you do or the labor placed upon you is to get busy with other things besides the seed. That's what the, that the birds and the evil one references. 
The evil one snatches away that which, notice, has been sown in the heart. I mean, you get this idea that these, these, these seeds show up on the ground for a couple seconds and shoop, the bird sweep, swoops in and takes it away. That's not the case. The, the seed actually gets sown in the heart. I'm going to suggest to you that all these four are all four believers and a type of believer in all church history down through the ages. You can still see these four today. Notice, if he doesn't understand it, what's the it? The word of the kingdom, that Christ is king, that he's Lord, that he is to be our life, and everything everything in our life is to revolve around him. Not the labors of our life, but him. If we don't understand that, if we don't know that, notice what happens. This is what has been sown along the path. It's snatched away. It doesn't come to full flourishing. The thing about a seed is it has life in it. Remember that. Seed is about life. It may look like a little kernel. It's got a life inside of it. Verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one. Notice it isn't the seed. It's the person we're referring to. All this isn't about, this isn't the seed down there. This is the life that has been planted in a person. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. I love the old King James word, and anon. And anon receives it with joy, immediately gets all excited. Yet he has no root in himself. The roots are shallow. The excitement is about the salvation experience, and that's as far as the Christian life ever gets to in this person. There's no depth of relationship with Jesus Christ. There's no evolving the life around his life. There's a, thank you, Lord, I'm saved. I rejoice in that. That's it. Shallow, no root. But endures for a while when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately that person falls away. Falls away from what? Ever being saved? No, falls away from fruitfulness. That's the point. Falls away from ever manifesting the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. The deeper you grow in Jesus Christ, the less you'll care what anybody thinks about your Christianity and your stand for Christ. You won't be embarrassed. You'll say it. You'll live it. You won't walk away when the hot times come. But if all he is to you is a rejoicing of a moment you got saved 30 years ago, the least little heartache and persecution and struggle will just cause you to turn to be bitter against the Lord. Disillusion. Now, you may not say it. You might not stand in a testimony meeting and say, you know, I'm angry with the Lord. It'd be a good thing if you did. But there are Christians who are bitter and angry. And maybe they're still in a church, man, but they've fallen away a long time ago. See that? We can see it. These parables are like mirrors, aren't they? They get uncomfortable, and Jesus meant them to. Notice verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one sown. This is the one who hears the word. Notice, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Notice 
the calling of the world, the attraction of the world, the calling of riches. It doesn't mean necessarily that a Christian has just abandoned the faith in order to go after making more and more money, more and more fame. It doesn't necessarily mean that. It can mean a believer who's in the church. It can mean a preacher who preaches and who leads in ministry. And yet his whole focus is the money he makes or the fame that he gets or what you think about him. And he defines success like the world defines success. It can mean that. Fruitfulness is God working in our life. But people, ladies and gentlemen, we can be very busy about the work of God. It doesn't mean God is working in our lives and through us. Fruitfulness is what he's doing, not what we're doing. So this choking of, of, of worldliness, this deception of riches and the focus on money chokes fruitfulness. Look at the last. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one, this is the believer who hears, notice, is still listening after all these years, still growing and listening still wanting to know, still seeking to understand. Isn't that interesting that the first one didn't understand? This one, God is revealing truth to because he's seeking after it. The good soil. What's the result? It bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold. In another case, 60 And I, <laughs> I got to laugh. Because I've heard sermons over the years. What do you want to be a hundredfold Christian? You want to be a sixtyfold Christian? You want to be a thirtyfold Christian? You know, which one? I mean, you check the box. Which one? How serious are you going to be about this thing? That's not the point here. God does, God decides the, the, the fruitfulness of our lives. God decides the increase. All that, all that we're responsible for is to focus on Him. Hey, thanks for joining us today at the church at Suncoast. We pray that the message was a blessing to you. If we can be of any help, don't hesitate to contact the church on our Facebook page or at suncoastjacks.org. If you are in the listening area, we'd love to have you attend any of our services. We hope you have a great day, and we'll see you next time.